0: This week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation is sponsored by Glider. Glider is software that helps your product team put discovery at the center of your roadmapping process, helping you remove risk and drive value. Check it out at Glider, G-L-I-D-R. io/podcast. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host Brian Ardinger, founder of Inside Outside. io a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat for the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have an amazing guest, uh, Patrick Campbell. Is the founder of a company called ProfitWell, it used to be called Price Intelligently, and he is one of the foremost experts in and around this software as a service, subscription-based space. And so, Patrick, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here, ready to jam and hopefully talk about some fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I wanted to have you on the show for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, our audience is is kind of a mixture of startup and corporate players, but they're all innovators, and they're all at that early stage trying to determine, you know, how do you push new products and ideas and that into the world? And with your company and the companies that you help, I think you see that every day, <laughs> companies experimenting and trying to push new things into the world. So maybe to get the audience up to speed, if they're, if they're not in the SaaS business and, or in the subscription business, they may not know you as much as those that are. Why don't you give our audience a little bit overview of kind of how you got into this innovation space and what you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my, my personal background is in econometrics and math. And so I actually started my career working in the US intelligence community and then at Google doing uh different kind of what's called value modeling, which is just taking inputs and optimizing for some sort of output. So when when I worked at the NSA, it's you know trying to find a bad guy or a gal. And you know, when I worked at Google, you know, trying to find money and coincidentally kind of using the same models, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but I, I jumped out and I worked for another company in the area and, and there, that's where I started working on a pricing project and, and basically realized we as just operators have no idea what we're doing. And unfortunately, pricing in particular, and then other parts of growth as, as the company's now evolved, have you know some pretty big impacts on your overall growth. And so essentially what ended up happening is started price intelligently. We were a pure software product and then we quickly moved into what's called a tech-enabled service, which basically means, you know, you can't buy us without buying our software and you can't buy our software without buying some sort of service on top of it. And then we've evolved to ProfitWell today, which now have a whole suite of products that basically help subscription companies grow. So... The core of that is free subscription financial metrics. So you can plug in Stripe, Zora, Braintree, Chargebee, whatever you're using, and basically get free access to your MRR, your churn, all of the main numbers that you need. And then we sell and make money based on you know, basically solving problems. So pricing, we have a retained solution that helps with retention. Um, then we have a couple of other products. But the big vision is basically we want to help, you know, subscription companies grow. And at this point, we have about 25% of the market using one or more of our products. And so we're just kind of marching against the beat.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I took a look at some of the things you're doing. And again, if you're in the, that particular space, you've dominated from,
1: you know, fairly, you
0: haven't been around that long. Uh, so maybe t- take us back to the early days of you as a bootstrapped entrepreneur getting off the ground and, and to where you are today. What are some of the things that you've learned over the years that uh, you'd like to share with us?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, what's kind of unique about us as well is we're completely bootstrapped or or customer funded as well. And so we're about 50 people, you know, here in Boston and we also have an office in Rosario, Argentina. And I think a couple of really big things that we learned that are, are applicable to kind of our trajectory, but I also think are applicable to most companies is that a customer focus has been a huge thing. And I think a lot of times in in the world of startup land and in the world of, you know, industry, we confuse customer focus with always doing what the customer says. And and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making sure that you understand your customer better than anyone else on the face of the planet. And it's really, really important, not only because obviously you're going to help build the right thing to basically have that customer be valued and happy and all those other fun stuff's but it's also a huge competitive advantage when it comes to your marketing, your targeting, your TAM, all those other fun things. And so that was the really, really big thing. And then the the, the other really big theme, I think in, in my career or building well in particular, um, really centered around team and hiring. And I know that's something that everyone kind of says in some light, <laughs> and it was the advice that I received so many times, like focus on team culture, but kind of being a little bit of a you know, a hubris driven, arrogant butthead. Um, You know, my early career, you know, when I started the company, I was like, Oh, yeah, like, it's going to be product problems, marketing problems, sales problems, it never will be people problems. And like, you have, it's just very naive to think that because people are literally once you get to a, a certain escape velocity, they're everything. And I think that if you're a nice person, as I, I hope I am, I'm a Midwesterner, and so I, I kind of am nice by default, a lot of times you want to you know, be very accommodating and, hey, like I want to make sure everyone's doing okay, I want to make sure everyone's happy, that type of thing. And what I really learned is that it's not great for a work culture. Obviously, being nice and, and respectful is, is great, but you need to be very direct with the type of culture that you want. You don't want to average out that culture to be accommodating to everybody because you really want to focus on on the right behaviors and values of of the people that you bring on. And then also making sure that it's a diverse amount of thought. And that's a really, really hard thing to do right. because you know, you don't want just the homogenization of of your culture. But you also want to make sure that everyone has the same things that are super, super important in their minds. And so those two big things were really, really important. And I think that they're things that everyone says to you when you're starting a company. You don't really listen to it until you're like, oh, my God, they're totally right after you've made your 10th mistake in those two realms. Yeah,
0: exactly. 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 So you um uh, you've been in the space for a while, and uh, you know this idea of growth marketing and has kind of come out of the woodwork, and now it's everywhere. But you know, ten years ago, it was really not a a thing. And I imagine a lot of the things that worked ten years ago don't work now. So, what are some of the things that you're seeing, both good and bad, that kind of shaped this growth marketing area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what's kind of fascinating is the way you used to be able to grow a business 10 years ago is is completely different than the way you have to grow a business today. And what I mean by that is, and and we're in a really unique position because we're sitting on so much data to notice this, but for the most part, you could really brute force your growth 10 years ago by just kind of buying the market, not really having that great of a product, um, just kind of a whole host of things that are very antithetical to today's growth. Mm -hmm. And the main reason was, is because there just wasn't as much software out there. It didn't feel like that. But today with AWS, the rise of DevOps tools, basically this infrastructure and this middleware layer that's kind of in our community, all of a sudden it's become incredibly easy, quote unquote, to build a product. Now, building a great product is, is still exceptionally hard. And it's not even gotten harder because now there's a lot of good product out there. But it's one of those things where, now, this whole concept of like high tempo testing and all these other things that have come out of growth are are just necessary because you know you 're just not going to be as as good and The kind of big takeaway that that we found in the data is that acquisition based growth has actually become table stakes so what I mean by that is if you look at the data, CAC or customer acquisition costs across all different types of industries is basically going up up and up because everyone 's got ebooks everyone 's got paid ads et cetera what 's happened is All of these channels aren't opening up brand new anymore either. So we're not getting a new Google every year like we were. And so everything's expensive. And basically, if you put a dollar in or if you improve your conversion rate by, let's say, 1%, you're not getting that much of a lift out of that improvement. Instead, the most kind of powerful growth companies at this point, they're taking advantage of monetization and retention, especially in the subscription space to basically get their, their kind of faster, their hyper growth. So long story short, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of fascinating just how, you know, the world has changed from basically anti-fundamentals to going back to the fundamentals because, you know, the gold rush of, you know, growth in the tech world or just in the online world is actually starting to, to mature out.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword too. From the same point of back in the day, you could just try some things and you didn't have data to support it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. Now you almost have too much data and everybody has the exact same amount of data and they're trying to do the exact same types of things because they're seeing what, what works or what doesn't work. Hey, listeners, I wanted to pause this episode to bring you our sponsor spotlight. This week's sponsor is Glider, a software platform dedicated to helping you build better products rather than talking about glider myself i figured i'd invite jonathan wiley glider's vp of product to come in and tell us a little bit more about what they're building and why it's so important in the marketplace
2: yeah so glider helps teams build a shared understanding of customer needs prioritize what to build based on real market signals and figure out the right way to go to market so all of those things whether you're you're building features or you're you're thinking about which partners to go to market those are just assumptions in the early days and so glider really helps you outline those assumptions, and then build and structured experiments and research to figure out which of those assumptions are true and which aren't, and then gather the evidence you need as you move forward. And so there's tools in Glider, things like the business model canvas that can also be customized into the lead canvas or whatever other canvas you want to use to help organize those assumptions and visualize them, Kanban boards and other things like that. And then there are a core process that people are using and it's really maps well to the lean startup process. Um, We call it plan, run and analyze, but it really is a build, measure, learn loop. So people add their assumptions, they formulate research and experiments uh, to figure out what's true. They run those experiments gathering evidence and connecting that evidence quantitatively back to those assumptions, helping to understand how the assumptions are performing. And then they make decisions and they can export that data and share it with their team, share it with others who are with other executives and stakeholders, and build the business case for the decisions they're making so that they feel more confident and so that the team can really get aligned behind what they're doing behind the product.
0: And I understand you may be doing some other things in the, in the marketplace uh, in the future, trying to, to talk to folks directly.
2: We're going to be uh, launching a, a series of meetups I'll Build Better Products, so you can find us on meetup.com, and we'll be bringing in really great product managers and others who have real experience in the field to talk about how the discovery work they're doing is really helping to push their efforts forward, and we'll, of course, be there to, to talk to people about Glider.
0: So Jonathan, tell me a little bit about who uses the product. I know it's very powerful and from startups to to Fortune 100 companies, I think have used the product. Tell us a little bit about uh, who's actually getting benefit from this.
2: Yeah, so we have actually had great success with everybody from early stage startup founders that are just trying to figure out their ideas and the right way to go to market, all the way through growth stage companies that are using it for continuous discovery and delivery into large enterprises that are running significant innovation programs on top of the platform. And so in the camp of sort of the, the success with Glider, most recently seen Blue River Technologies that came through our software actually exit to John Deere for over $305 million. And so that's great. And there's a whole bunch of other exits like that in the software as well.
0: So Jonathan, thank you again for being a sponsor of the show. What's the best way for a listener to find out a little bit more about Glider?
2: So then go to glider.io and specifically go to glider.io slash podcast and enter the code IOPodcast to get 25% off the first three months of Glider, no matter how many teammates you invite.
0: Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show to talk a little bit about Glider. Looking forward to staying in contact and let's get back to the interview. Talk a little bit about, are you seeing particular trends that, that are working right now from in the growth and subscription space that are different than you might expect right now?
1: Yeah, there's three big things that are reasonable to talk about on a podcast, if that makes sense. So I don't have to you know, show you a whiteboard or anything to kind of talk through. But there are a couple of things, and these are very tactical. So there, there's, there's definitely, I mean, focusing on your customer has never been more important, but I feel like it's become so ambiguous. that. But a couple of things that you can kind of take away. One is utilizing what's called a value metric. What we've noticed is that when a company is using a value metric versus a company that's not using a value metric, um, the one using the value metric is growing typically at about double the pace. And a value metric is, is how you charge. So, uh, in a very traditional software product, it might be per user. In kind of a, a more sophisticated kind of DevOps product, it might be per thousand API calls or things like that. But it could be hundred videos, thousand visits. But Ultimately, this is super, super important because what it does is it bakes in expansion revenue as well as basically it lowers churn because everyone's kind of getting the right amount of value for the price that they're paying, assuming you've done you know a basic amount of research to figure out what the right value metric is. And this is also kind of applicable to a lot of different kind of companies out there that aren't necessarily a subscription because... We now have the ability to basically measure different things that we can sell. So even if you're selling on just kind of a one-time basis, you can actually incrementally break down that value that that user is getting and then basically charge for it. But that's a pretty big one. I think it's also one of those things that when it comes to pricing, if you get everything else wrong, but you get your value metric right, you're, you're still going to do okay just because it's one of those things that it's kind of central to that purchase. I think another thing that's a little bit even more tactical is localizing your pricing. Mm -hmm. So most of you probably, you know, even in the early days, you might have 10% or 15% of your customers coming from outside of the United States. What we typically recommend doing is making sure that your pricing is localized from a currency perspective, but also from even a demand-based perspective in the different regions that you're selling. Mm -hmm. And this is just, you know, natural human psychology because essentially what you'll find is that individuals who may have never heard of your product. And so demanding a higher willingness to pay is going to be a little bit harder, or there just might not be any other competitors and you're the only one there. So you might be able to actually demand a little bit of a higher price, but treating everything as kind of the the same region just doesn't work that well. And then the last thing I I would mention is delinquent churn or delinquent credit cards. This is something that we saw in the data that Basically, a lot of people don't realize how kind of archaic credit cards actually are. And what I mean by that is basically the failure rate on credit cards is actually incredibly high. And so what we recommend doing is making sure that you're at least tracking, you know, hey, how many of these folks are basically going delinquent of the people who are churning out or canceling? How many of them are canceling because of a real reason, meaning they clicked the cancel button or how many of them are canceling out because their credit card failed? And right. then, you know, how do you fix that? And, you know, you can, you can see that in ProfitWell, but you can also see that in, you can just do that by looking at Stripe or whatever you're using just to see what the, the failure rate looks like.
0: So going back to the value metric, I guess, how do you determine which particular metric is the right one for you?
1: There's a data intensive way to do this. It kind of goes into the, the pricing testing framework that, that we talk about a lot. And I'll I'll just do a quick summary of that because I think that's the right way, but it's not necessarily the only way. And that really involves setting up a a survey data collection framework for your target customers and then essentially presenting them with a couple of different options. And then once that data is kind of massaged and calculated, and basically that allows you to kind of compare the the value of those different value metrics to your customers. Mm -hmm. The more kind of theoretical and, and hackish way to do this is, you know, kind of think about what's the perfect value metric for your product. And for most products, it's, it's a combination or a line of, you know, saving money, driving revenue, something along those lines. So if you think about a marketing product, normally it's the amount of money that you can attribute to that marketing product that you brought that particular customer of yours. But for the most part, you might not be able to actually ask them or really justify charging them a dollar amount, or you might not even really be able to measure it. So if you think about what that perfect value metric looks like you can then take one step or two steps back from it and basically find a proxy. So if I'm talking about a marketing automation product, money probably is the perfect value metric, but it's a little bit hard to measure. It's a little bit hard to prove to the customer. And so what you want to do is go, okay, well, I know that the more contacts I bring you, the more money you're theoretically going to get. And so then I'm going to focus on contacts as my value metric. And I might do per contact, that feels a little bit of nickel and dime So I might go per thousand contacts or per hundred contacts by, you know, kind of taking that step back. That
0: makes sense. Talk a little bit about, a lot of this works when you are up and going and you have customers and you can iterate with them. And you're at the early stages, whether it's innovation project or, or new startup and that, a lot of times the, those first customers are, one, not coming in the door a lot until you figure some of the stuff out and you just don't have necessarily the data to kind of really refine that. So what are some recommendations at the earliest stages that a new team or a new startup can actually do to start positioning themselves so when that does happen, they're in a good spot?
1: So essentially, what do you do when you don't have data, right? Yeah. I think a lot of times in the early days, if it was 15 years ago and connectivity wasn't as good, you know, not as many people were as online today, broadband, all that kind of stuff as as are today, I think you'd have an excuse for not collecting data, right? But I think that a lot of folks in the early stage, and I suffered this a little bit myself as well, but a lot of folks in the early stage, you know, we get taught, hey, go out, get some data, go talk to customers, go talk to people, do this, do that. And today, there's just no excuse for not doing that because there are these market panelist companies that you can go out and collect data from potential customers. Literally, their their only goal in existence is to sell you access to someone to take a survey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do the old Eric Reese Lean Startup going to the mall and asking people and just kind of quote unquote hustling for for those answers. And so in the early days you have a lack of data, but there's no good proxy for figuring out if this is a good space than trying to go out and, and collect data or collect responses that literally only take up a minimal amount of their time on if it's a good market or not. And so that's kind of what I would do is, is you can get the data now you know, being kind of intellectually honest with the question on like, okay, there is a limited amount of data. So like where, you know, where do you find that data? Where should you go? Or what data should you focus on? I think for me in the early days, you shouldn't necessarily go crazy with, oh, I got to do a ton of pricing research. Although it'll help, it'll help kind of identify the customer. You're really trying to figure out how to get customers. (laughs) And so I think in that stage, it's really about making sure that value metric, like I mentioned, is, is set up. And then when you're looking at data in your business, really just focusing on that growth and not necessarily worrying too much about secondary or tertiary data and just focusing on that raw growth.
0: We do a lot of corporate consulting and focused on those early stage customers where it's really not quantitative data you're looking at. It's a lot of qualitative data. Like, is there a problem that needs to be solved and who's raising their hand to say they need it solved and things like that. Question on, so you've seen a lot of data in this, especially around pricing and that. What are some of the misconceptions? Are, Are there particular things out there that maybe were truths two, three years ago that are changing or are different things that are people are holding true, but not necessarily
1: are based on what you've seen? That's a great question. I think we, we talked a little bit about, I, I do think that people, they thought that spending money on marketing, you know, meaning acquisition-based marketing was is the end-all be-all when it comes to growth. And I think we're seeing that backfire in a couple of different ways. It's certainly a way to grow a business, right? And there's a number of public companies that you know, they went public, so that's successful, right? But a lot of them, as they've gone public, they've really, really struggled because the product wasn't there. And so they kind of brute forced their way into a six to eight year run that definitely ended well for for everyone. And then the product just never really came to be. And when you look at their headcount, you'll notice, oh, it's like a 700 person company that's a product for developers, but half of them are salespeople, right? And so I think that that whole concept of being able to brute force growth, but as I kind of mentioned, it's it's now this, you know, it's it's not where the the hyper growth is going to come from. I think in, you know, previously, and this is something that's been talked about at length, design and user experience didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're running into a world where, you know, it matters more than ever. And, and based off that, one thing that's a little controversial is that I, you know, I've heard usage isn't all it's cracked up to be. And what I mean by that is, the last 10 years or last 15 years of software was very, very focused on, I need to show my boss I'm doing work. So if you think about Salesforce, very successful, right? And, and you know, very good product for a certain type of customer. But Salesforce, the biggest selling factor was the reporting suite for the managers. It wasn't even right. about the rep. You know, who's doing the actual work? It it was all about the managers, right? And I think we're heading into this world where there's the rise of the anti active usage product, is what I like to call it. And really, what that is, is it's basically a product where it's like, we just do this for you, right? So with Retain, our our retention product, you turn it on and you monitor it and do whatever you need to do, but you don't physically do anything. It's just taken care of. The algorithms are taking care of things. And it's, you know, got some machine learning and AI and all that sexiness that, that is, you know, all the rage right now. But it's really focused on, allowing you to do your work while we take over the mechanical work. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. And I think that that's a big thing where we're going to have heavy, heavy, heavy workflow products, meaning like a Slack where you kind of turn on your computer or you probably already had your computer on and you just always have Slack on and you're using it kind of on a consistent basis. Or we're going to have products where you basically just don't need to use it. And the middle is probably going to get eaten alive.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The whole B two B software space in general. If you you know, look ten fifteen years ago, you could have crappy interview faces and in that because you were forced to use those products. And you know now people have been exposed to consumer products for so long in the software space that they expect that of the B two B side. And like you said, the, the next evolution is okay. It's not only about using the product, but it's like, how do I get the value out of it without actually having to use the product? Patrick, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you very much for, for being a part of it. If there's a good way for people to kind of reach out, find out about you, find out about ProfitWell, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, so you can email me at pc at profitwell.com or just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the Podcast or at Group. Until next time, go out and
1: innovate.